As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Warning. This podcast contains explicit content with reference to UVA basketball. Viewer discretion is advised. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. And welcome to the latest episode of the Guys and Ties podcast. It is Sunday around noon, and I got Dustin with me here as usual, partner in crime. Dustin, welcome back. How's it going, Rob? It's pretty good, man. I'll tell you, it feels good to have good sound quality again this week. The audio is crisp, it is wonderful, it is flowing, and Rob's voice is not going up and down. Uh, at random we this had year, this one week. twitter comment that said i almost had carpal tunnel <laughs> trying to listen to your podcast i couldn't help but laugh wait who said that i didn't it's, see that uh, one. one one of the guys one of the guys said it all right but you know i will say last week was probably despite worse sound quality under slightly better circumstances after a big and very impressive game against louisville virginia football didn't look as hot this week against NC State falling 35-21. There's a lot of different ways we can dissect this game, and we're going to take a look at a little bit of it over the course of this episode. We're also going to talk about uh, some basketball. We're going to have Fred Polly, Seattle Who on the show. So we've got a lot to talk about. You heard the warning pre-podcast, so we are going to talk UMBC as well. It's finally time. So... I think we're going to start with football, though, in which case, Dustin, I want to hear what your thoughts were on the game yesterday. So Rob and I had a good time before the game yesterday, and so it's a little hazy. The important thing to notice about the game is that I think this is a typical game where UVA was not or did not have the personnel to compete with NC State. NC State was clearly the better team this week. We did have a lot of injuries to our defense, which I think really hurt us but you know at the end of the day we didn't execute as well we didn't have as good of players as they did our rushing attack was non-existent our rushing defense was non-existent I think just overall uh, we're still growing this season and the injuries definitely did not help yeah no I think you're exactly right there were opportunities to make this game closer than it was but at the end of the day NC State was better you know Ryan Finley's a heck of a quarterback you know, they quite frankly dominated the lines of scrimmage, which is what we did last week against Louisville. They were able to do that this week against us. 
And at the end of the day, our guys just didn't make enough plays. You know, Bryce Hall probably dropped two interceptions, which I love Bryce Hall and he's a lockdown corner, but he's probably dropped four or five interceptions this year. Yeah, if he catches at least one of those interceptions, the game could have changed differently. Yeah. And I mean, we can point to a lot of different stuff that went wrong, like the the weird butt fumble fourth down conversion that NC State had. And that was weird. I, I mean, I don't know how the refs called it a first down in the first place. Because if, if they call it for a first down for UVA on that play, they pr- probably could not overrule that on yeah. the replay. So it, it just, you know, I'm not going to blame the refs because obviously UVA made a lot of mistakes too, you know, not converting a lot of third downs, some drops by Bryce Hall, some even drops by our receivers, right? There's a lot of stuff that went wrong, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is we just lost to a better team. Yeah, I read one thing that put it well, that the stage kind of where we are in Bronco Mendenhall's rebuilding process is, hey, we can beat bad teams now. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we can necessarily beat the average to above average teams on a consistent basis. And that's that's fine. You know, I didn't expect us to win this game. You know, we're just kind of moving along. And you bring up injuries, and that's a big thing. Not having Richard Burney obviously hurts, and now we're down to five guys really in that defensive line rotation and then not having Jordan Mack is big but not only that not having his backup Malcolm Cook and not having his backup Dominique Shepard so really you're left with Zane Zandier and Rob Snyder Rob Snyder played a little bit but they still didn't trust him too much uh in the secondary uh Britton Nelson goes down early in the game with a concussion it seems like so that was obviously big and that changed up the whole dynamic of the defensive backfield you know that's a game where it would have been great to have chris moore healthy chris moore has barely played at all this season just because of lingering nagging injuries uh so then you have guys like miles robinson getting in there guys like uh jermaine crowell getting in there so we just didn't have the depth we didn't have the depth and we didn't have the playmakers on defense to really stop or slow down Ryan Finley. And, you know, you bring up third downs. They were 8 of 13 on third downs, but then there were two third downs that were converted based on penalty. And then they also had that fourth down conversion as well. So we just couldn't really slow them down, and we couldn't get the NC State offense off the field. I mean, the other thing that I think was really disappointing was our run game. And if you look at the box score, Alameda Zacchaeus was our lead runner, our lead rusher, and he only had 39 yards. So when two of the ACC's top rushers in Bryce Perkins and Jordan Ellis have less than 39 yards in a game, that's bad. And at the end of the first quarter, we had negative two rushing yards as a team. So if you tell me, if you had told me that we were going to have negative two rushing yards up to the end of the first quarter, and we only lost by 14, I would have said, that's fair. I'll take that. You know, it's not like are we are a rushing team we are not going to beat people in the air and i think if you look at indiana and nc state they did very similar things where they really keyed on the run game and tried to make bryce perkins beat and beat them with his arm and it didn't work out today and you know part of that is on the offense and but part of it's also on the defense you know allowing 35 yards allowing nc state to have their best rushing game this year at 176 yards I just I think it it shows a lot how good we were at first and it also shows 
how bad we were today. NC State's top rushing total this year was 102 yards, and they have played three much worse teams than us. And so it just goes to show how how good we were, but also we've taken a step back, I think, this week. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to talk about kind of the offense as he brought yeah. up too. You know, Bryce Perkins, I think we've seen him, you know, put some touch on his balls. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he just doesn't have that rifle arm. He just doesn't have a lot of zip. And I think he saw that a little bit with his first interception of the day. And even on the touchdown to Alameda Zacchaeus, that ball was a little behind him. Yeah. And I think part of that just was the lack of zip. So the passing game works when it can be short, when it can be out routes that are wide open when it can be slants that are in front of him 10 15 yards down the field but you take away the middle of that field like nc state did like indiana did all of a sudden you're forcing bryce perkins to stretch the ball farther than he probably feels comfortable throwing Mm -hmm. uh and then we want to talk about the offensive line the offensive line just didn't get much push today they weren't great in pass coverage bryce perkins was sacked four times and the thing that I continue to bring up is that while I love Jordan Ellis, and Jordan Ellis will take advantage 100% of the things the offensive line gives him, mm-hmm. he doesn't really create much on his own. Sometimes he'll break some tackles, but at the end of the day, he's not super fast. He's not super shifty. He's a guy that if the hole's there, he'll take advantage of it, and he'll make every opportunity to get as many yards as possible out of that carry. But he's not really a creator. Like you talk about in basketball, guys that can create their own shots. Mm -hmm. That's not Jordan Ellis as a ball carrier. So Bryce Perkins is. But when you take away his threat on the ground game, and then the offensive line also isn't getting the push they need, that kind of limits how much Jordan Ellis can do. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of different dynamics at play. And again, it all comes back to that. I think NC State was just better than us. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So, you know, you can uh, slice and dice this one as much as you want, but I don't really know how much detail we really need to dive in here because, you know, at some point you're going to lose games to better teams. I think the biggest takeaway for me is six wins. What's the path to a bowl game? You know, this was a game that if we win, then I think we're pretty much there. You know, Mm -hmm. we can find two more wins on the schedule. Now, seven games... Where can you find three wins? I think Liberty, we're hoping this is one of them. Yeah. You know, you can look at Carolina. Carolina got blown out by Miami. You can look at Pittsburgh, who got blown out by UCF. Georgia Tech. I think, yeah, Georgia Tech as well. I think those are the four teams that we have to win three of those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Miami's going to be a tough win. Uh, Duke looks much better this season. They're going to be a tough win. Virginia Tech, probably not a win right now. So... It'll be interesting to see how we play in those three other ACC games against Pitt, against UNC, and against Georgia Tech, and uh, and also that Liberty game. Hopefully, we win that. But I think that it's important to. I, I'm not reading too much into this game, right? I don't think there's many takeaways here, except we have some injuries. Hopefully, this bye week is gonna we can get healthy. We can um, maybe add some more stuff into our offense, right? But for now, I'm not reading too much into it. I'm not too upset. This is a game that we played well in, ended up losing. I'm not heartbroken. Yeah. I want to say I still do like our chances for bowl eligibility. As you said, I don't think we learned anything we didn't already know after this NC State game. When you look at our schedule, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Liberty, 
all very winnable games. Mm-hmm. In all of those, I might pick us straight up head to head. I yeah. think we need to win three of those. But Duke, you saw they were beatable. Virginia Tech, which we'll get into some parallels later in the show. Virginia Tech, after losing to ODU last week, all of a sudden looked lights out against Duke. Duke was ranked, mind you, and Virginia Tech took him to the woodshed. Uh, Miami, I think we're going to catch Miami potentially at a very good time. Miami mm-hmm. will play Florida State next weekend. Not that Florida State's a great team, but that rivalry. I mean, last year, Florida State wasn't a great team either and almost knocked off Miami. Well, yeah. Miami was a top 15, top 10 team. So, and then Virginia Tech, you know, we've seen they can be beat. They're a very good team, but we've seen they can, can that they can be beat. So there are wins on the schedule. There are still opportunities to hit six wins. And I still like our chances to get to six win, but I think this bye week, like he said, is coming at a great time. Get healthy, reevaluate, you know, what we need to do. Hopefully we get another man on the defensive line and Dylan Thompson. He's the guy that has done nothing in his football career yet we can't stop talking about. <laughs> and you know, hopefully we can kind of turn things around. I think it's it comes at a good time too, the bye week. Five yeah. weeks in settle down, get ready for the meat of the ACC schedule. I'm still optimistic. I still like this team to hit six wins. Uh, do you think we're still six-win team, Dustin? I think we're a six-win team. I mean, we could even hit seven wins too if we uh, get some lucky breaks on and some of those games. And, you know, this, this game, once again, was not a game where we had lucky breaks. You know, we're talking about interceptions. We're talking about some some strange calls by the refs. But at the end of the day, I think we can get to a bowl game, and I'm still I'm still confident in this team. Great stuff. Yeah. So in that case, do you want to switch to basketball? Let's switch to basketball. And so I think what Rob and I are going to do right now is look ahead to the season by looking back at last season. And the reason why we want to do this is because once the season starts, everyone is going to be talking about our last game, how we ended the season last season. I think it's important to look back at the season that we had before that game, as well as look at that UMBC game and say, what went wrong and how does this affect us going forward? And I think it's been really difficult. I know it's been really difficult for me. I know it's been difficult for Rob to really comprehend what happened and also to look back and see what the, what the, hell, <laughs> what the hell happened, you know? And I think a lot of people have put this off, and I know I have, is just because looking at the box score, looking at the stats, you know, it's a little depressing. It it makes it brings me back to a time that was not good <laughs> as a UGA <laughs> fan, you know. And so I'm not sure how many people have actually taken the time to look at the box score, look at the stats, see what went, see what went wrong, and how it can be fixed next year. So Rob, I want you to just talk about your experience watching that game first of all how do you remember it yeah well i remember it as you know sad and disappointing and all the above you know i was at a bar watching that game and i just remember it cleared out you know like midway through the second half it was like oh no and even at the end of the first half like we were struggling a little bit uh especially offensively but so was UMBC at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was still like, oh, we're a second half team. We'll pull this together. That didn't really happen, obviously. So, you know, we're going to bring in Fred Polly. Fred, he put out his hype video this week for the basketball team and has a lot of thoughts on the UMBC game and how that's kind of affected uh, his perception of the team. 
for me, my initial takeaway is that, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, unfortunately, for people who don't want to do much research calling our games and writing about our games, that's going to come up in every article you read. Virginia, the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. Number one overall seed, mind you, too. So it hurts. But at the same time, I don't think it's changed our program. You see the recruiting momentum we have. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it hurts and the reason that people care about it is because I think we've arrived as a basketball team. You know, Mm -hmm. the Duke uh, website this week came out with an article saying, hey, it's no longer just UNC and Duke as the Blue Bloods and the ACC. Virginia's there too. I mean, to have Duke fans say UVA is just as good as us, if not better than us in some regards, you know, that's respect and yeah. virginia has gotten national respect and the reason that it hurts for me is because we have that respect now and that people recognize us as one of the best programs not just in the acc but in all of college basketball yeah. and it's just we have arrived and we had a chance to really really make a statement this year or i guess last year and We didn't do it, obviously, at least in the NCAA tournament. It shouldn't take away from anything we've done previously. But unfortunately, it's just one of those things where you just wish it didn't happen. But at the same time, it doesn't change really anything besides from one what could have been one postseason. That night, I was watching it in my room uh, on the range, and I had some friends over. And, you know, my friends... You know, this kind of pissed me off, but they weren't taking it seriously. And so it I was already kind of mad. My friend brought this random person over and they were like super drunk before the game started and like making a lot of noise and was not paying attention. And I was like kind of pissed off anyway. The game started and we, you know, we looked good at first and then we kind of fell off the rail in the second half. And I keep saying this to people I talk to about it, but the next day was St. Patty's Day and I was able to go... <laughs> drink away my sorrows a little bit but I still have a tough time to try and place myself I think I kind of like fogged over that memory you know when people have like traumatic events happen to them and they don't remember exactly how it goes this is kind of what happened to me and so my vision was that we basically lost the game in the first half and but looking back at the score we were tied at halftime and I don't know how many, I mean, this is just for me. I would not have said, I, I would have said we were losing at halftime if you had asked yeah, me. We were talking about this before we started recording. I had no idea we were tied at halftime. Right. We were tied at 21. And then after that, we, they just went on a tear of making all these threes. But I had no idea that we were tied at halftime. I think that goes to say how little I actually have looked into the game afterwards. I didn't watch another basketball game after that i didn't watch the rest of the tournament i didn't watch the national championship game i i I was just in a place where i didn't feel like i wanted to relive that at the moment and so today is really the first time that i've been going through the stats going through the win probability looking at some advanced stats on ken bomb just to see like what went wrong yeah no i mean it's kind of it's funny and Hopefully it doesn't sound too much like a postmortem what we're doing here. (laughs) The reason we're talking about this game now is because the basketball team officially started practice last week. I think it was Wednesday Mm -hmm. they officially started practice. So we've been putting this off for so long. We keep saying, we'll talk about basketball. We'll talk about UMBC. And we finally hit a point where, hey, we want to have fun when the basketball season actually starts. So let's... And by that, I'm not... I don't mean the John Ross scene. Basketball season starting first day of practice. I mean... 
the first game. We wanted to talk about this and just kind of see what it means and if there's anything we should read from this or if there's anything we really should just move on from and not really worry about that because we saw with Virginia Tech and ODU last week, you know, an upset of really historic proportions for that ODU football program. But Virginia Tech came back and clobbered a very, very good Duke team, an undefeated at the time Duke team this week. And good teams move on. And I think Virginia basketball is an incredibly good team. That's why we're going through all this. And I think now it might be a really good time to bring on our guest, Fred Polly, hear what he has to say about this basketball team and uh, what we should kind of be looking for moving forward. All right. And we have... Fred Polly on the line right now. Fred, who many of you might know better as Seattle Who from Who's Place on Twitter. Uh, we got Fred on. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. I enjoyed my first time here and I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you agreed to come back and then we didn't we didn't scare you off. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. I was surprised he gave in to my pleading and let me come back. I <laughs> figured you would be worried about your uh, listenership when you're just trying to get started. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, great, great jokes there. But we're, <laughs> well, I we're, know, I know why I'm back because nobody else wants to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's quite accurate. Th- that's why we're <laughs> doing <laughs> it. You had no alternative but me. That's why we're doing this. We are the we are pushing the limits of of what UVA fans can bear. So uh, we just want to start off by asking you, where were you during the game, and what was your initial reaction right after it? If you haven't blocked it out not blocked it out i haven't gone back and watched it again though i did scan it to get clips to make my video no i was in my office and sitting at my computer and when i was able to sit mostly i was jumping up out of my chair and wandering around the room tearing my shirt and pulling my hair out and screaming and yelling why why god why have you forsaken (laughs) us again um, what are you guys doing? What seriously? Can he really hit that shot again? So that that was my viewing experience. I I did not watch the entire bloody massacre. I turned it off with about three minutes to go, when it was finally abundantly clear that there was no comeback in the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put myself out of my misery. Fred, you then... just made your hype video. Uh, what did <laughs> for the basketball season? Great video if y'all haven't watched it yet, but. Thank when you. you were making that uh, video, there was a lot of UMBC clips. You even made a UMBC safe video. Uh, mm-hmm. Just kind of like, what what were you thinking as you made that? And what takeaways did you have then that, you know, maybe maybe you didn't have at the time? Right. You know, I originally didn't make a safe version, but I sent a, a rough cut of it to the Who's Place team and got the suggestion that there should be a trigger warning on it because <laughs> one of like one of our members had a meltdown about it. So I went ahead and made that safe version. Um, but anyway, um, I think that my takeaways from making the video were not all that original, but they were how our coach and our players, especially Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, who had to go up there and answer those questions afterwards, how they handled it. Yeah. Personally, you know, I, I've coached in the past. I've coached teenagers. And my thought after the game was I would not – I don't think I would have made my players go up there after – I think I would have just paid whatever fines and told the media, look, I'm not subjecting my kids to you guys. Have at me. But uh, So I, I give a ton of credit to Tony for handling it the way he did, you know, having his players up there. And to those kids to – 
go up there and handle themselves the way they did. Uh, and I enjoyed putting a couple of clips of them in the video mm-hmm. um, because I liked, I liked the way they handled it. And, you know, especially Kyle, how positive he was, you know, to say it's going to be easy for us to bounce back. You're like, what? Yeah. Easy. But you know, it's just the faith that he has in that team and each other and, and in himself that no, we're, we're unified and we're humble. We're, we're, it's going to be easy for us to bounce back from this. But I think that was the big takeaway for me. And I think what the, the way the team handled it did for me was kind of kick me in the head and say, you know, look, these guys, they have to keep going and they're going to keep going. And you, know, you have to, you have to be there for them. You have to get yourself off the mat and continue to be a good fan and continue to have your passion and, and be there and just deal with it. And that made it much easier for me to the point where I don't really care what people say. I, I truly, I, I know you say that often and usually it's hiding that you really do, but <laughs> in this case for me, it really is true. When I read, you know, the comments and the, there's always every single UVA tweet, you know, somebody says, you me see. Mm-hmm. And my only reaction to that is, can't you find anything better? You know? And I give all the credit for that in me to those guys. Yeah. One thing that, I really enjoyed about your video. I watched it um, after work one day, and I think my one takeaway was not that the end of the season was so painful, but that the rest of the season was so awesome, right? Mm -hmm. We only lost two games. We lost one in overtime at home, and we lost one on the road at Virginia Tech, or at at, uh, West Virginia. And I think that I had forgotten how awesome the rest of the season had been. You know, we had the the buzzer beater against Louisville, the ACC championship win, mm-hmm. just all of those moments that you put in that were so wonderful. The DeAndre Hunter poster of Joel Berry, that's one of my favorite <laughs> UVA moments of all time, but I haven't thought yeah. about it since the end of the last season. And so I think it was really nice to reflect on the season in a positive way instead of just looking at one 40-minute game and how it changed everything right. about fans' perspective on the season. Because if you talk to, I think, most UVA fans, the first thing they will say is, yeah, we lost to the 16 seed, right? But really, they should be saying, we went, we lost one game in ACC play, we were three games ahead of, or we were four games ahead of the next team, we won the ACC championship. You know, we did all these things. We, we we were the number one team in the country for a long time. And I think that's all forgotten because of one game. I agree. And all of that is forgotten more for fans than for anybody else. Um, the thing that has really surprised me is how that actually seems to have helped our recruiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carson McCorkle said something that echoed what I had posited as a thesis just the day before. And uh, it was an example for him. And I think it showed players and their families how Tony Bennett handles failure and struggles and how he's going to treat his players if they struggle and fail. And I think it, it gives them confidence that it's a good place for them to develop and to be you know, supported. And, and McCorkle said that he, it, it affected he and his family exactly that way. And I think it's, 
it's out there for a lot of other players. Um, to me, I, you know, right after the game, I thought, that's it, we're done recruiting. Who's going to want to deal with what you're going to have to deal with once you say that, you know, I'm going to go to Virginia. Well, you want to go there? They, they can't win in the tournament. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point and something that you're right. I mean, we've seen not only good recruiting, but also probably a step up in recruiting from the past couple of years since that game. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. What do you think the legacy is of this game? When we look at this five, ten years from now, uh, do you think A, will remember it? And if so, how? Oh, well, absolutely. We're going to remember it. There's no way, I mean, there's no way to forget Chaminade. Yeah. And Chaminade was a pimple compared to this. Um, I mean, in, in terms of an upset, the magnitude of upset, you know, the weaker team beating, obviously Chaminade was a bigger upset, but I'm, I'm talking about impact and import. That was just some game in December over in Hawaii that nobody saw. This was an NCAA tournament game. This was NCAA tournament history. This is going to be part of one shining moment definitely next year. I mean, it's, it's so it's unforgettable and it's, it's legacy is going to be complex for us because I think a lot of how it's going to affect us will depend on what happens on the court in the next couple of years. If we win a national championship, we'll view it one way. If we don't win a national championship, we're going to look five years down the road and say, man, that was our best chance. And through a confluence of things, instead of making the kind of history we hoped to make and rightly should have made, we made this kind of history. And it's, it's going to hurt. Yeah, and but, sorry, go on. No, I, so it's gonna. I mean, it's gonna hurt regardless. But if we, if these guys come back this year, next year, and they're able to get in the final four, win a championship, or at least play for it, you know, that's gonna put a totally different light on that bitter sweetness of that legacy. Yeah, and I think that an important thing to remember is that you know. We are the first team to lose to a 16 seed, and it, it really hurts because it was probably our best chance to get to the Final Four. But we were also one game away a couple years ago, right, when we played Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And that one almost hurt. It, it's really close to about the same amount of pain, I think, because mm-hmm. we were so close to making it that year. And we would have... I think we had a really good chance to win it, but... Once again, we we just blew it in the second half, and mm-hmm. so I think I think it's important to think that you know we've had chances, but this one might have been the best. Well, see, yeah, this game I think we blew in the first half. Mm-hmm. That that's one thing that I would differ on. I think this one we blew in the first half. I think um, um so how how do you mean you, we blew it in the first half? Because in the at the end of the first half we were tied. And this is something that Rob right. and I touched on earlier is that I didn't remember that we were tied at the end of the first half. My my idea of the game was that we were losing the entire time. When in reality, we didn't start really getting blown out until the under 16. At halftime, we had scored 21 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had scored 21 points, which, you know, and Tony's going to look at defense and say, we missed this and we missed that, and they should have only had 12. But they had 21 points. Which for a game against an America East opponent, that's normal. That's expected. That's you know not ordinary. But to only score twenty one yourself as a number one team in the nation against an America East opponent, there's something seriously wrong there. 
And there was something seriously wrong. And what was seriously wrong on the offensive end, we never solved. Yeah. And I, I was upset about it because I thought that Bill Raftery kept touching on what we needed to do and what we never did. And that was simply find matchups and hammer them. We yeah. kept running our stuff, and they were blowing up our stuff. And we had certain matchups on the floor, even without Hunter. We had certain matchups on the floor that they couldn't have stopped. Yeah. And we saw each of them once or twice, but then we never went back to them. And it's it's something that I've noticed for the past three or four years. And a couple of the other observers, I've seen Jamie Oaks and I've seen Brad Franklin touch on the same thing last season, is that it doesn't appear to be part of our system to find exploitable matchups and then systematically exploit them. I think I think that's something that we really missed in DeAndre Hunter is that he is such a tough matchup for anyone, and he would have been someone. And I'm not saying we lost because we didn't have right. him. Right, that's not the point I'm making. But the point is, is that he's a guy who's really tough to guard, like regardless if he's playing the three or the four, and. We had people on the floor like, you know, Devin probably had a good matchup. Ty and Kyle probably had good matchups. If we had um, Mamadi or Jack on the floor, they would have had a definitely a good matchup because we were much a much bigger team than they were. But we didn't seem to take advantage of it. And something, right. that, something that I was disappointed in after the game is I was thinking, why didn't Tony put Jay in for at least a little bit, right? Because nothing was working. And you know no. why now. Yeah. We, now you know why. We, 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 know, we know why now, but at right. the time it didn't make sense. And, and right. you know, even – or we didn't, we didn't try anything new. Even in the Wake Forest game a couple of years ago when uh, Darius Thompson hit the bank three for mm-hmm. the win, you know, we went zone for a right. couple minutes. And that threw Wake Forest off enough that we could get back in it. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, I, I was surprised that the coaches didn't try anything – different yeah it, it almost felt to me like tony went into farm and kind of like that rabbit freezing thing he just kind of froze and went back to the well and they were prepared for that they were extremely well prepared for what we do mm-hmm. um and i think tony he said after the game he's like you know first off congratulations to ryan and his team which is you know, well said because they were extremely well prepared and they were very confident in their game plan. Um, and they, when they executed it perfectly, we didn't adjust to it because it's just not, I don't know. It, and the other thing I noticed when I was going back over the season later, after the Clemson game in the ACC tournament, we really stopped going into the post. There was a stretch of games there where, where um, Mamadi Jukite, he scored nine or ten points in five out of six games in a stretch mm-hmm. into that Clemson game. You know, and Jack Salt scored, what, eight games in that Clemson game? So we were going into the post in these games. After the Virginia Tech debacle, we started going into the post, and we got stronger. And then in the Carolina game, we got away from that, and we went back to – being very perimeter dominated with the post guys getting very few shots and it didn't hurt us there but I think it hurt us in the following game where going into the post really all we had to do with 
Mamadi, at least, and probably Jack too, is just toss it in there. Yeah. Give him space and toss it in there. And UMBC had nobody who could handle those guys one-on-one. Yeah. So that wasn't, we had fallen out of that. And I think it's something that Virginia, the Tony Bennett's teams have a tendency to fall out of. And I've noticed a pattern. We have our best games and we are most successful offensively. And it's been this way since 2013-14. When we start the game, putting the ball inside, late in the first half, in the second half, then start shooting the threes. We, some of our best offensive games have been when we did like that Syracuse game um, where we clinched the regular season back 2013-14. We started out missing some threes, and then we started we went and we were pounding the ball inside. And you remember in the second half, we just buried them with an avalanche of threes mm-hmm. because we had softened them up with the post. And I, I think it's something that the team has to make a conscious effort to, to do, to remember to do. Yeah. Play from the post out. No, that's interesting. And then we'll we'll see if we get any help this year. You know, Mamadi, see what he can become, Jack, and his mm-hmm. senior season. And then potentially Braxton Key. We'll see. We're still waiting on yeah. that. Uh, and Jay, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, no. Not... We'll see. But one thing we want to do, too, is get a little more macro as well. We've talked about, like, hey, here are the ins and outs of the UMBC game. I don't know if our listeners really want to hear us talk anymore about that. But mm-hmm. what we do want to talk about is how do you build and what are you looking for as they begin practice and as they work towards kind of the beginning of the season here in the next month or so? What are you kind of looking for most as you follow this team? I think what, and of course our ability to see what they're doing is extremely limited. And I, our first real opportunity will come on the 13th when they have the scrimmage is to see what what the offensive and defensive strategies are going to be like and how Tony's able to incorporate some depth in. We know the starting five is among the best in the nation, but we also know that the depth is completely inexperienced. And I think the depth has some limitations. When I analyze some of the players who are most likely to provide depth, Jay Huff and Kihei Clark, I just see that they have limitations that are going to make it very difficult for them to thrive in the base defense, the way the defense has evolved over the last couple of years. In the classic pack line, you, you fight through screens, you hedge screens, and you fight through them, and you stay with your matchups. But over the last couple of years, Tony has morphed the defense into one that does a lot of switching on those screens because we've had so many guys who are somewhat interchangeable on defense and the way the teams play offense now, it, it, it kind of gives you your best way to not leave open shooters. And our players last year did a phenomenal job of playing that switching defense because they're tremendous at communicating and a switching defense can't succeed without good communication. And our guys were superlative at communicating. And you almost never saw a less than smooth trade-off between the two players last season. Um, it hit me over and over and over again watching this team. But the thing with a switching defense is if you have one player on the floor who isn't somewhat interchangeable than an opponent, and we've got Hall of Fame coaches in our league, an opponent is going to divide the game plan that's going to get fatal matchup. And, you know, Kihei Clark is 5'9", and he can be a, a positive defensive factor, but not if 
he's having to switch off. If he has to switch off, he's going to find himself guarding a six five, six seven wing player who, you know, he just simply cannot guard. And the ACC's got a few of them who would, they'd run the, the handoffs, they'd run the, the screens until they got that matchup, and then they're going to hit it. And so that it takes away his ability to, to help you and give you some meaningful minutes there. Um, whereas if we're playing the defense like we traditionally played it, if, if they don't switch as much, and if Kihei can stay matched up against the other team's point guard, primary baller, then he can be a disruptive positive factor in the defense because he's very difficult to advance the ball against. He can get into your body and he anticipates. And I saw him take apart that courts in, in the high school games that I watched. So, you know, is Tony going to make adjustments in the defense will allow Kihei to be a strength as opposed to being a weakness? Jay Huff is a lot like Mike Toby in that he just has shown so far he can't handle the hedging and recovering. It's not the only defensive weakness that he has, but that's a big one. So if we're playing the defense where he's expected to get out there and hedge between the circles and and recover, that's going to limit his ability to get on the floor, and we're probably not going to see him. Because I think, from what I'm hearing, Francesco Badoki is good at that, and right now it's probably a better pack line defender. So he's going to get the minutes. If the defense is tweaked a little bit, like Jay Wilford said they might do, uh, and in a way that they did for Toby in his senior year, where he's not expected to hedge, but he kind of flat hedges, and, and they find some way to let him stay in the paint. And again, he can be a positive defensive factor, and we can get his offense on the floor. So those are the things that I'm going to be looking to see. How are we going to play defense? And then how are we going to play offense? Are we? What are we going to do with, with DeAndre Hunter in the offense? Is he going to be playing as a blocker, or is he going to be playing as a mover? When he goes to the four, is he going to be a, a blocker, or are they going to play – the, that Villanova offense that apparently I recently read Tony really likes. So those those are things that I'm going to see because I think doing some of that Villanova offense um, is key to maximizing our offensive potential, especially like if Braxton Key plays. We're going to have a roster this year that's more geared towards dribble penetration than we've had recently because DeAndre Hunter is um, he, one of the best isolation offensive players in the country. He gets to the rim. He's got a 46% free throw rate. That's Braxton Key's offensive strength. He's not a jump shooter, but he's extremely good at attacking the rim. Then you've got, among the big men, Mamadi Tikite started showing uh, a face-up dribble drive game late in the season. And even Ty Jerome has a an excellent 92% rating on a synergy sports as an isolation attacker. And we don't think of Ty Jerome as a guy who's taking guys off the dribble. Um, (laughs) But he is. And the difference is Hunter takes his guy off the dribble, goes to the rim. Ty gets into the lane and shoots those, those short jumpers. Mm -hmm. Jerome showed his statistics show. He did a great job of finding spot up shooters when he ran the pick and roll. He'd come off the pick and roll. His, His own offense off the pick and roll was only about average. But when you look, when you add in offense derived from his pick and roll, which is him passing off very high, and especially to spot up shooters, well, we've got Kyle Guy who can spot up. We've got DeAndre Hunter who can spot up. He was a good spot up shooter, but also outstanding at isolation when the defense commits. So you've got guys that Jerome can hit off of his drives. And you've got Hunter can get to the rim. So we have 
more of that ability to attack the rim this year. And are we going to run more of an offense that's built off that, that Villanova offense? Or are we going to stick to sides, which is fantastic for Guy. We'll be able to run it better than we've been able to run it in the past with if Jakita can play more with his offense. You know, some of the and like if Jay Huff could get in and play, and we're running Guy off of Jay Huff's screen, that opens up opportunities because Jay Huff is not a guy that you can ignore when he sets a screen, and so the defenders who when Salt sets the screen, the defenders who are helping on Guy coming off the screen and leaving Salt can't do that well because he can kill you. So that just makes it easier for a guy to get open. We've got this mix if we play it aggressively and we've got a lot more experience now. The guys are all more experienced and we've seen our best offensive teams have been when we've had upper class stars, Joe Harris, Malcolm Brogdon, by the time they're seniors and Devin Hall is a senior. Once they master how to run a defender through the offense, they become very difficult to stop. So with the starting five, with the possibility of Jay Hoff, if he can be, you know, a key reserve, there's a lot of ability there to craft an aggressive offense that's going to put defenses in a, in a major bind. So I'm looking to see you know, what Tony does to try to incorporate that. Something that, that I'm looking for in the offense this year is who's going to step up to really be a leader. Because, I mean, last year we had Devin Hall, we had Isaiah, and we had Jack. Those were our captains. But in the last game of the season, when we lost, neither of them, none of those three really stepped up. Devin only had two points the entire game. He missed nine threes, or six mm-hmm. threes, sorry. Isaiah had seven points, and Jack had zero. So on offense last year, we didn't have someone who would really take over. But I think a lot of people think this year that DeAndre is someone who could maybe, if we're down in a game, can get isolated and then just start taking over a game. But I'm I'm wondering if he's ready for that. And I was wondering what your take on that is. I mean, my answer is easy. Um, Ty Jerome. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have three guys on this team who could score 30 points on any given game. Um, Ty Drum did it last year. He, he took over and, you know, he battled Jerome Robinson in that Boston College game. Even as a freshman, Ty had no problem taking the ball and making a play at the end of the game. You know, think of his move against Steven Chenzo in the Villanova game mm-hmm. his freshman year. So, I mean, Ty Jerome, I, that's an easy one for me. He's, he is going to be the leader, especially on offense, but on defense too. He's going to, he's going to step in Isaiah Wilkins' role of being what I call the middle linebacker. The guy who calls the signals. Mm-hmm. He's already the quarterback on offense. He's the one. He's calling the signals on offense. Uh, you know, when he went to that Chris Ball camp this summer, one of the things that one of the scouts said was that it was amazing how Ty Jerome never stopped talking on mm-hmm. offense. He was pointing out the mismatches, telling guys where to go, what the, the plays that they had, and on defense, he was telling guys where they needed to be. He was positioning players. He came in as a freshman. He talked a lot. So now, with Devin Hall gone, with Isaiah Wilkins gone, and with Jack Salt being the senior who is, as he said, he's not a, Salt's not a, an assertive step up, tell guys what to do kind of leader. He's a different kind of leader. Mm-hmm. And he's a kind of leader who's going to mesh very well with, with Ty Jerome. This is going to be Ty Jerome's team. Mm-hmm. And he, by temperament, he's going to be the guy to step up and do that. He's the point guard. He's got the ball in his hands. 
that that's the guy that Tony wants being the leader, at least on offense. He's Ty Jerome is the player that I'm really focused on this year, and that I'm looking at, and he's actually my pick for ACC Player of the Year. I just think wow. that he's the one that's going to be built around. And you, I think you touched on one of the reasons why with Hunter. Hunter's he's a very confident player. He's, um, now he is. He's very assertive on making his move when he has it. But I don't think he's got that assertiveness of stepping up and leading the other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting take. One thing before we end up letting you go, one thing I'm really interested to hear, just as kind of we continue, practice is just starting, we'll see the games here in a little over a month. Who's one under-the-radar player, one guy that's going to be coming off the bench that hasn't had a big role previously on this team? Who's that one guy you're looking forward to see, hey, can this guy really step up? One we haven't seen at all that I'm saying, see, hey, he's going to step up is Kihei. Um, I I really think Kihei is going to be the primary perimeter sub. Uh, now, you know, if Key gets his waiver, which I do expect him to get, then he'll be the primary perimeter sub in a sense. In another sense, I, I think we're going to kind of have six starters and he'll be one of them. Um, so Kihei, I, I think he's going to play. He's going to have some great moments. Um, He's going to be very important for us because he's the only other point guard that we have. And so if we're going to do certain things, he's going to have to be able to play. And the other one that I'm looking at, the other two, Jayhoff, uh, Badoki, Francesco Badoki. I, I think he could step in and have a big role. I'm hearing that, you know, he's already a good pack line defender and that's going to get him on the floor. It's going to get him opportunities. And what I saw him do in high school, the way that he controls his body and uses his hands and finishes around the basket and the, the intangibles that I saw. I think that's a guy who could wind up emerging the way Isaiah Wilkins emerged his freshman year, um, where he started out not getting much. By the end of the year, he was starting to really factor in the rotation. And then, of course, as a sophomore, he won a starting spot. So that, those would be my picks. One or two of those three players becoming a real factor is going to be critical for this team to go where the starting five has the potential to take it. Yeah, I like I like what you said about Kihei. I think that he's really important to this team, especially because last year, you know, we had Devin Hall who could run the point. We had Ty mm-hmm. who could run the point. And also Kyle could run the point if he really needed to, right? But this year we have Ty and Kyle's probably not going to be running much of the point, hopefully. And so we've got Kihei who's got to play. And he's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Kyle, like you said, Kyle can run the point, but right. we don't want him using his minutes doing that. Right, right. We want him. We want him coming off screens and spotting up on the perimeter. And so I think Kihei's going to come in for either Ty or Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the because you know Tony likes to bring in one of his big guys off the bench first. So it might be either Frankie or Jay. But you know, I think Kihei is going to come in even before Marco does. Uh, just because he's got he he's the only one who can really spell Ty or Kyle for a good mm-hmm. period of time. Yeah, and I think we're gonna see marathon minutes from Kyle, Ty, and Hunter, especially Kyle and and Ty. I think we're gonna see more games where they play forty than games where they play fewer than thirty five, and that doesn't bother me. Yeah, and Kihei will do us. A valuable service if he can come in for two minutes each half 
And I think that's reasonable to expect. And hey, Kihei, he is a player. The only place I see his size being a factor is, like I said, if he gets switched onto a much bigger wing. Yeah. But that kid is a player. I, I watched several of his games last year, and it's interesting with Carson McCorkle committing. You know, McCorkle and Kihei played each other. Mm-hmm. McCorkle was part of that Greensboro Day team that Kihei played against with Will Dillard and Johnny Newman and, and McCorkle. They had three D1 players in that backcourt for Greensboro Day. And Kihei was noticeably the best perimeter player on the floor that day. Mm-hmm. And in, when in the fourth quarter, when he stepped up his aggressiveness, uh, you know, he was unstoppable. Yeah. And dominated that game. So, I mean, he, this is a kid, he's a player. Yeah, something, and I know this is just like a little clip, but uh, UVA Sports put out that video the first practice, right? And there's this uh, image, or this, there's this shot of Kihei driving into the lane and then pass, finding uh, either Ty mm-hmm. or Kyle in the corner for an open three. They were wide, there's no one around them. And mm-hmm. it was a really, really good pass, and he has great vision, um, especially in the, in the paint and to get it out and kick mm-hmm. it out. So I, I'm really excited for him. I think a lot of people are underestimating him, probably just because of his size. Uh, but I'm excited his to see size him. in his ranking. Yeah. I think his ranking has a lot to do with the size, but also a lot to do with he didn't have the exposure until his, mm-hmm. you know, that last AAU season. But yeah, no, I think if, if he were six one with his production, he the exact same game, he would have been much more highly ranked. Yeah, and it's not completely unreasonable. I think we pay too much attention to height. Yeah. So Kihei Clark, we'll we'll keep an eye on him and see kind of what he can do. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Fred Polly Seattle who on Who's Place on Twitter. If like I've always said, if you're not reading Who's Place, you're not using your time right. Get on Who's Place. Great content. Uh, there's been a lot of really good football stuff and a lot of really great basketball stuff coming too. So, Fred, thank you for coming on, and uh, again, we'll have to have you back on. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So once again, that was Fred, also known as Seattle Who. So make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. And Rob, is there anything else you want to talk about or do you want to wrap this thing up? I think we should probably just wrap it up. Uh, You know, I think we hit on a lot of great things today. We hit football, which, you know, I'm always going to love football. Not the greatest circumstances this week. But again, I don't think we learned anything new about this team it's going to be a battle to get to six wins i think odds are still in our favor but you know we'll we'll see kind of how it plays out and see what this bye week can do i think the bye week comes at a really good time for us and then basketball we hit umbc hopefully we didn't scare y'all away by talking (laughs) umbc uh but i think it was good to kind of just get our feet under us and say hey this is what this game meant and then fred helped us uh dive a little deeper into the basketball team in general. So yeah. I think we hit on a lot of good stuff. I'm I'm glad we talked about UMBC. It was good to reflect on it. It was good to also reflect on the great season we had otherwise and see and, and talk about how, you know, that game affects us moving forward, not just from like a fan standpoint, but from a, a team standpoint. So I thought that was good and I'm glad we did it. Yeah. So you want to give some yells? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go with some yells. So one yell I want to get is basketball-related. It is to Henry Coleman, who is a basketball recruit. He was visiting NC State this weekend, saw NC State beat UVA, so hopefully that doesn't affect his his decision-making. But he took an unofficial visit to NC State, 
His official visit to UVA is on October 13th for the Miami game. So hopefully that is a good experience for him. And hopefully he commits because this guy can ball. He is a grown man. If you haven't seen pictures of him, that dude is a big guy. He is he is jacked and he, he is ready to play. And I think he'd be a great fit for this UVA team. Uh, I want to give another yell to Johnny Manziel, who is trying <laughs> to give advice to Baker Mayfield, who is now the starter of the Browns. And I just don't think Johnny Manziel is the best to give advice to, John, to <laughs> Baker Mayfield. I haven't watched. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. 